Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to episode 376 of the Battery Power Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland. It is Sunday, October 30th. The offseason is here in earnest for the Atlanta Braves, and I am joined, as I often am, by my friend, colleague, co-host, all of those things, Scott Coleman. Hello, sir. Hey, Brad. Yeah, good to be with you, and longtime listeners of the podcast know that we are pretty close to a 52-week operation here on the Battery Power Podcast Network. Uh, we might have taken a week off once the season wrapped up, just uh, <laughs> kind of lick our wounds and and move on mentally and physically, get a bit of a break. But we are back, and and certainly a very important off season for the Atlanta Braves, and and no shortage of things to talk about tonight. Yeah, as predicted uh, on the last podcast that you and I did, Sean Coleman, our colleague, did a couple of podcasts in the last week or week, week or so. Sean's always busy. Also, a podcast episode with Chris Willis and Stephen Tolbert on the podcast. Uh, so, if you are a new listener by some measure, uh, certainly welcome to the podcast network. But uh, as Scott said, we are not going to go anywhere in the offseason. We'll be here multiple times per week and uh, maybe not every day the way that it has been kind of for the last few months with games going on, but uh, lots of podcast content coming your way. And uh, please, please, please subscribe to the show. Our mission today on this late October into early November episode is to number one, kind of take some stock about what transpired a couple of weeks ago. Uh, we briefly kind of get our vibes um, together after the early exit for the Braves. And then uh, sort of the meat of the episode is going to be sort of the five biggest storylines heading into the off season. Probably no huge surprises here if you're a diehard Braves fan, but it's worth kind of just seeing where we are, what's to come. This is not going to be all-encompassing. We're not going to go like fully into depth, and uh, we'll have, as Scott said, podcast content to come, whether that be like positional breakdowns and reviews and like a little bit of a deeper dive on some free agent stuff, et cetera. But this is sort of the uh, the broad stakes at the beginning here to kind of get us going into November. So first, though, Scott, a um, couple of weeks have passed now since the Braves lost to the Phillies in maddening fashion. You and I reacted to that loss in real time right after it. Um, I just want to kind of see where you are mentally. Um, and first, just say this, like the Braves still won 101 games and won the division and came all the way back in memorable fashion. And um, the way that I would say this to kind of start to start this off is that basically um, if you are a World Series or bust baseball fan, life can be very, very difficult <laughs> just because uh only, only one team wins, and uh, as we'll probably get into a little bit more here, the, the randomness and the variance of baseball can be uh, certainly taxing. So I recommend always to like kind of try to enjoy yourself along the way and also kind of just take stock. Like It does matter when you win the division. It does matter when you win 101 games. How much it matters maybe varies depending on how your mindset is, but uh, this season was not a failure is what I would say, uh, but I want to know what you kind of think about all of that as uh, with a couple of weeks now to react to it. Sure. I think quite obviously you noted that the end goal for every single fan of a baseball team is to win the World Series. Of course, just a year ago, the magical run, as we record this, exactly one year ago tonight was game four of the World Series, which was the back-to-back home runs by Dansby and Solaire. Um, so I don't know about everyone else, but I've been reliving those moments a little <laughs> bit, and maybe that has taken some of the sting out. Um, look, man, like I would love for the Braves to win 20 world series in a row right it just unfortunately the game doesn't work out that way uh when i look back on this season now that we've had a couple of weeks the regular season was so much fun that run that they went on from june until the end of the year 
chasing down the Mets, sweeping that final weekend series at Truist when they had to sweep in order to take the division. To win the division five years in a row, it is the longest running streak in the major leagues right now. We know how difficult it is to win not only just one or two divisions in, in a row, but five years is really impressive. Um, 101 wins, and, and again, to overtake New York with the 10-and-a-half game lead, the regular season was fantastic, and I think uh, that's something we look back on very fondly. Of course, the playoff, the, the you know, the four games were not fun to watch. Game two was was a joy, but other than that, it was it was pretty uh, non-competitive. And I guess if you're looking for a silver lining, the alternative is to like have your hearts ripped out. I think you look at the other NLDS series, the Dodgers had the lead in the fifth inning of all four games and ended up losing three out of four of them. That's a brutal way to lose a series. Um, so I guess if you are looking for a little bit of a silver lining, the fact the Braves, I don't know, the, the you know what I mean? I, I don't know where you were at. I know fans <laughs> process games differently, but at least they weren't like heartbreaking losses. If they lost three walk-offs in a row or whatever to lose, or, you know, of course in 2020, they, even with the, the oddness of the COVID season blowing the three, one lead, like those are ones that really hurt. Um, I don't know. I was fine. I mean, I was bummed when they lost, but I wasn't heartbroken. Yeah, I mean, it is what it is. Obviously, we talked about it a lot, but um, you know, I, I really do come back to it. Maybe it's just my analytical brain. Like you just uh, it's you could try to assign whatever blame you want to. And like we can get into starting pitching and it was a disaster after it was a strength all season long. The Braves were awesome in the rotation all year, like a top five, maybe rotation in all of baseball this season. And they just suddenly weren't um, Kyle Wright pitched well. Your guy, Kyle Wright, Scott, take your yep. victory lap again. Um, yeah. Nobody else was good. Um, and basically, you know, just the way it all ended and the, you know, I guess there's a little bit of solace to be taken. We'll get into this in a second as well. But like, you know, no one of the Braves fans rooting for the Phillies, but the Phillies stayed hot and they, you know, they, they won another series after that. Um, maybe that's a little bit of a small solace that you lost to a team that made the World Series. Uh, I don't know how it is, man. Everybody processes it differently. We saw the Dodgers exit. We saw the Astros get there, of course, but uh, you know, it wasn't like were, uh, the Yankees went out quickly as well. Um, a lot of the better teams just didn't make the runs this year. And uh, one more thing, uh, the Braves have won 20 division titles since 1991, which I think is like right around when you were born, Scott. I, I know you're younger than I am. I, I don't know the exact year you were born, but it's around there. I think something like that. Um, yeah. 20 division titles in your lifetime. It's pretty good. You're, you're not an old, you're not an old man, Scott. You're pretty young at this point. Yeah, so. that's, that doesn't suck. And really, I mean, you think about, it, of course, there was the crazy run of 14 in a row and then they kind of got all of the bad baseball out within like a couple of years, right? Like even as this those... podcast was starting, by the way, they were pretty bad for most for most of that run. <laughs> right. Shut this up. is the this is the opposite of a bandwagon podcast where it's like, oh, the team's good. We should do one of these. No, I think our first episode came in the middle of 2016 when the team was like 50 games out of first place at one point, I think. Um yeah, it's Again, I know the the early playoff exits are frustrating. I think the fact they came back to win the division was a big-time prize, knowing how competitive it was. If they would have lost the East and then lost in the opening round of the wild card, I think my feelings would be pretty significantly different. I don't know yeah. how you feel. Um, but I know it's the regular season and playoffs are a different animal, but... Again, man, like it's just uh, look no farther than the Braves last year. Obviously, they hit their stride. They had the really good record after the trade deadline, but it is a funny sport. It's a difficult sport. It's not I'm not taking a shot at your beloved NBA here, Brad, but it's not the NBA where like most years you have a pretty good idea of who the finals are going to be before the playoffs even start. Like it's it's baseball, man. It's it's a weird game. The Phillies were 14 and 18 in September and October, 14 and 18. And the only reason they made it in at all is one, the expanded playoffs and two, the Milwaukee Brewers falling apart. And look, now they're, they, they're three wins away from a world series championship, which nobody saw even a month ago. Yeah. It actually reminds me uh, your NBA reference there as your diehard NBA guy that you are, Scott. Um, it reminds me of the stat that I heard actually um, on the effectively wild podcast, which is an awesome baseball podcast. Ben Lindbergh, Meg Rowley, and, and the folks at Fangrass put it on. But uh, you'll appreciate this because it's, it's sort of NBA tangential, uh, how you want to say that. But uh, 
there was a study that was done, not by Fangrass, but so it was a, it was like an official, like, you know, one of those papers done for school or master's or doctorate or whatever it was. And they found that uh, in order to produce the same level of confidence in terms of like the better team winning a baseball series versus an NBA series, like in the, in the NBA, the better team wins most of the time. Um, that's just, it's, it's one of those sports where like there's less randomness. Um, the, be- the best players mean more because they're on the floor all the time, all that stuff. The better team wins most of the time in the NBA in order to achieve the same level of confidence that a baseball team would win a series over another baseball team, that, that the better team would win. You have to play a best of 75 series. <laughs> so like oh. when we say baseball is a random sport it's not that we're saying like nothing matters eat at arby's that's not what we're saying we're saying that the better team does not always prove itself to be the better team um over that short of a sample size and that there's a whole argument i know joe she has talked about this like maybe there's a an argument to like just like have more of an emphasis or like more of an award or something like that on the regular season because of how different it is like baseball is the ultimate large sample size sport but like can you imagine a best of 75 series scott and just the uh the way that that would all work because it'd be pretty pretty interesting kind of to to, to, to sort of determine a true champion that's yeah. what the uh i guess the math based example would be like no one wants to watch that i get that but uh like if you actually want to know who the better team is you need a huge sample size and that's not yeah. that's not part of, that's not part of the thing in baseball yeah and again look no further than you know, 2021 Atlanta Braves <laughs> right yeah I mean the Atlanta Braves as you noted 20 division titles in 30 years and they have two World Series to show for it I mean that's probably the expected number right like I don't have those the odds in front of me but if you said a team is going to win 20 divisions it's, and I know prob- there was it's a- probably three or four just because of like in the early days of that run there were a lot fewer playoff teams, you know, like it was only, there was no wild card in the first few of those. So That's like fair. maybe, maybe odds were higher, but yeah, especially now, if you were to go forward in the expanded playoff era, when there are 12 teams getting in the playoffs or 14 teams getting in the playoffs, like, yeah, I mean, you're not, there hasn't been a repeat champion in 20 years. I mean, there's yeah. a reason for that. It's, it's hard. It is. And there's just, there's just so many things. And of course we don't want to rehash the, you noted the best of 75. Well, the NLDS was over in four games. So yeah. you talk about those, you know, game one where the Phillies seemingly just hit a bunch of ground balls against the shift. And then, you know, Nick Castellanos making the insane diving catch and, you know, all, all of those things, right? The Braves pitching staff being pretty comfortably a top three starting rotation all year long. And their four starters had a 7.9 ERA in 13 innings. Like that's just that's baseball, man. It's a bummer. Thank goodness they got their World Series last year because it can be a cruel game. But uh, that's a great stat. I'm gonna have to go and look for that other podcast because that that's fascinating. Yeah, effectively wild. Again, it's the Fangraphs podcast with Ben Lindbergh and and, uh, and Meg Rowley. That was it's a really interesting breakdown and they do a lot of episodes so it was, it was a few it was like probably a week and a half ago now but i was blown away and i went to make sure like they, they list all their links and stuff in their podcast description and it was there like the paper itself i might have to go find it and, and drop it in the podcast description but uh yeah best of 75 not likely to see that i think anytime soon with rob manfred in charge scott but uh there you go. the answer is just you play like a 30 game it'll be like 2020 you play like a 60 game regular season and then just have five months of playoffs Let's yeah or yeah or um the real answer uh which nobody wants to hear i think would be like you go to like an english premier league style where like you don't even have playoffs like it's just the better team in during, during the season actually wins because that's yeah. like yeah. actually how you prove who the best team is but that's not the way it's going right. to work anytime soon but anyway uh unless we want to move on unless you want to talk about the world series scott we can move on to the five storylines but world series yeah. is happening they're two games in it's one to one yeah go astros i think that's my are you an astros guy i was actually gonna ask you this like who are you rooting for i I suppose it has to be the astros for me as well but i did see like a convincing argument i can't remember who it was from it was a braves fan that was like i want the phillies to win i don't know if it was an sec thing like one of those like division champ pride um kind of thing but i don't know what it was going to be but it was uh i'm rooting for the astros too but you know yeah i I don't love houston i mean I, i like dusty baker a lot um you know, there there are some new pieces on that team who are not involved with the cheating scandal. Most of the uh, team is new. Most of the team. Yeah. Not, not not all of it. I mean, they they still have Altuve and Bregman, and there's some familiar, some familiar faces there. But like, I love Jordan Alvarez. That guy's a monster. Like yeah. he is yeah. absurd. Their pitching staff is just comical, honestly. Like, I, I I did a preview actually of Game Three today for Sportsline, so I know this off the top of my head. The Houston bullpen ERA in the playoffs is like point eight. 
in like wow. 50 innings of work. It's like, obviously they only, they only had to play seven games in the first two series because they swept both of them, yeah. but their ERA is below one for the playoffs in the bullpen. It's like, what, what is going on right now? That's a preposterous yeah. team. I, I also hope they win because they're the best team. Like they're very obviously the best team. So it's yeah. like, I hope the best team wins. Yeah. Uh, go Astros. I don't want the Phillies to win. I mean, I guess you could go, well, at least the Braves lost to the eventual champion, but I have a hard time rooting for the Phillies. In basically any scenario, I think I would take the Phillies over the Mets. Obviously, that World Series cannot happen, but I think in that scenario, I would root for Philly over New York. But I I, I honestly think, like, even if it was Yankees-Phillies, I think I would take the Yankees just because, you know, the Yankees' dominance was 20 years ago. I mean, they have the same number of championships this century as the Braves do. So, um, yeah, go go Astros. Yeah, I uh, think we're on the on the same page there. Okay, Scott, let's take a break to hear from our sponsors. And when we come back, we're going to go through the five biggest storylines for the offseason. Stay tuned. Be right back. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to the future of work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Scott, these are in no order. But um, and you, maybe you can put them in order if you want to. But I basically put together five options. I think they're uh, fairly obviously the biggest things. You know, maybe there'll be a huge blockbuster trade we don't see coming. But there's like you know at least four of these were pretty e- easy for me to put together. Number one is the one everyone's already talking about, and that is the shortstop position. Basically, whether you, whether you want to say Dansby Swanson and his status, or just the position overall, because Dansby is a free agent, of course. There are other big names on the market, whether it be Trey Turner or Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts, etc. Um, we'll probably have more on this. In fact, I know we will have more on this in the future. But um, where is your head at early on with this? Because there's a kind of several schools of thought. Like one of them is like must re-sign Dansby, homegrown guy, etc. Then there's like the I'm good to move on. And there's someone like where I am, which is like if Dansby's the best option, sure. But my my biggest thing is like they need to replace him with someone who is good, kind of like the Freeman thing last year. Freeman's not Freeman's obviously a better player than Dansby, but like I would not care at all if Dansby were to leave if he is replaced by a quality option. So I'm, I guess I'm in like column C there. But what do you think about all of this stuff? As uh, that's obviously the number one spot to fill. Yeah, I hate when you and I have like the exact same opinion on of it. Of course, Scott, that makes sense. Maybe doesn't have the it doesn't make for the greatest podcast banter, but. Shortstop is such an important position. And I think you you mentioned the first base thing a year ago, which also took some of the words out of my mouth. I think this is just as, if not more important of a decision for the front office as when they had to navigate first base a year ago. It is such a prime position There are no discounts with veteran shortstops. They get paid very, very well. Francisco Lindor got his monster deal. And then looking ahead to this year's class, it is so good, right? You're talking about legitimate stars in the middle of their primes. Trey Turner, Carlos Correa, Xander Bogarts are all free agents. Those guys are going to fly past nine-figure deals That, I mean, I would be surprised if any of them get less than five years. I think Dansby, with the really nice season he had, is going to get upwards of $100 probably four or five years, maybe a sixth, and if some team is just over the moon for him. But it is such a critical position, and there are a ton of options here for Atlanta. And before I throw it back to you, Brad, I think it is just so interesting for a multitude of reasons that over the last couple of years, Alex Anthopoulos in the front office have been so aggressive in signing and locking up their talent internally for years and years and years, right? Like even after the Matt Olson trade, within like 24 hours, they had worked out his eight-year extension. And it never happened with Dansby. And we don't know the full dynamics. We don't know how Dansby's camp feels about an extension in Atlanta. 
Maybe he was dead set on being a free agent. Maybe the front office really doesn't have much interest in signing Dansby long-term. I don't know if we're going to get the answer to that or not over the coming months, but I think it is such a fascinating decision for the Braves and a really important one. Yeah, you're right on all counts there. And I think that it really is a interesting look into all of the dynamics in play because it is true that Dansby is very popular locally. He has local ties. He's a former number one overall pick, not by the Braves, but they traded for him very early in his career. He's been their guy at shortstop since the middle of 2016, basically. And while he's not always been fantastic, the last couple of years, he's been a starting caliber shortstop. And this year he was a star, basically. Now, you have to be wary of the fact that this season is the outlier. If you go through all of his performances, his um, offensive season this year was very similar to that of 2020. But of course, that was a tiny sample size season, you know, about, you know, 40% of a season, basically. But defensively this year, his number, he's always been a good defender. I'll say that. But like he was maybe the platinum glove winner this year at shortstop. Like he was truly awesome by the metrics and all that fun stuff. And he's 28 years old. And like you're looking ahead, he's going to be 29 when the season starts. Are you going to give that guy a six-year deal? Like there's there's some downside risk there. So I am not a someone who's going to look at the wallets and like really worry about the money. If they spend the money, they spend the money, and it's not my money. Um, that's kind of my general view on all this stuff. Like maybe there's some, some payroll constraints that are going to come into play here. But um, do they think that Dansby is going to be not even this year, but like? Will he be the guy he was in 2021 even, which is a three-win player, and that's like a really good, solid piece. I think no one can expect him to be this. Maybe you disagree. I don't think anybody can expect him to be this year. Like this year's performance was all-star, superstar level, and like I don't see that repeating. Maybe it it does, but you can't bank on that. I think you're looking for like what's his actual baseline, and that is the biggest thing on this contract because of how – he's not old, but you know he'll be 29. This is not like locking up – your 22 year old prospect for his entire prime. This is a guy who could be out of his prime in two years. Like that's, that's plausible to me. So there's a lot of dynamics in play here. Like I like Dansby. I I think it'd be totally fine with me if they re-signed him, but at the same time, he's not as good as Carlos Correa. He's not as good as Trey Turner. So if they want to if they want to aim higher, I have no issue with that whatsoever. So it's like one of those weird things where like, yeah, there's probably some emotions in play and my emotions are not usually involved on this kind of stuff. But he is the internal candidate, and I'm sure the Braves will give him a longer look because of that. Because I don't believe this. Uh, I don't believe Braves fans would be clamoring for Swanson if he was not already on the Braves. They probably he'd be on the list of guys they wanted, maybe, but he yes. would not be like, oh, they have to sign Dansby Swanson if he wasn't already on the team. So we, if Dansby Swanson wasn't on the Braves, you and I would do a podcast and go, well, we should probably aim a little higher for shortstop. Go big. Go for a Trey Turner or a Carlos Correa. But if those guys get overpaid, then Dansby Swanson makes a lot of sense. And I know it's not as black and white as that because Dansby has his long history here. He's beloved in the clubhouse. Uh, Front office and ownership may not necessarily want a similar situation to what Freddie Freeman went through a year ago. Granted, as you noted, they are not the same caliber of player. Um, Here is how I look at Dansby Swanson. Matthew Barry, a longtime fantasy football writer, he was with ESPN, he's now with NBC Sports, does a tremendous column every year previewing uh, drafts. And in that column, he has a paragraph A and a paragraph B, and he compares the two players. And in paragraph A, he talks up this player and he talks about how good he was and why you want to draft him on all of your fantasy football teams. And then in paragraph B, for this different player, he talks down the player and says, oh, you don't want him. There are all of these concerns. He's fine, but you don't want to overpay, et cetera, et cetera. It's the same player. And I think you can do that really, really easily with Dansby Swanson. I think you can talk him up and you can talk him down. And I think if you can talk him down, that's the price I would be willing to pay. I really am not worth paying the premium for what he in theory, has earned because of his really good 2022. But there are some concerns about his batted ball profile, the likelihood that his defense is going to get worse as he gets older, the likelihood that he is going to lose a step in terms of speed, which is a real component to his game as well as a really good base runner and as an athlete. 
I don't know, man. I am fascinated to see what kind of market Dansby has, not only in Atlanta, but across the league. I am too. And I also would love to just know what the Braves internal number is. Like, you know, they might not have a hard and fast number that they will not go over, but uh, I want to know what they are even offering. I would love to know what they've offered so far. Any of those things would be fascinating to me. There are also trade candidates. It's not like they have to sign um, Turner or Correa or Bogarts if they don't sign Dansby. They could trade for somebody. I know Steven, our colleague, floated uh, Brewer shortstop Willie Adamas as an option. He's a 27-year-old who'd be probably a lot cheaper. Um, I have to trade for him, obviously, but a guy who's been really good the last couple of years. Um, also, Vaughn Grissom is a name that gets thrown out there. We'll talk about him in a second as well with, with the left field situation, but uh, I personally would not be into giving Vaughn the shortstop job, um, mostly because I don't think that he proved it this year, but also the biggest thing for me is that our minor league guys have said this as well. Um, defensively, most people that I trust on this don't believe he's going to be a good enough defender at shortstop to go ahead and have that be the option. I know he's a talented guy. I think he, I think he's going to hit, but um, I am skeptical of that. I think if, if that cannot be your plan is my, is my thought. If you have Dansby as the incumbent, if you have all these guys available and you're talking about payroll going up, if they roll into the season with Von Grissom at shortstop, I'm going to have some questions. <laughs> That's for yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, let me ask you this, Brad. And because I think this is the only scenario in which it could happen. Oh, Tommy you mentioned <laughs> You mentioned Willie Adamas from Milwaukee. For Braves fans who don't know, Willie Adamas is really good. He's really talented. He has an eight war over the last two seasons. He's 27 years old. He hits for power. He's good defensively. And he's under contract control for two more years. And I think one question you have to ask is if the Braves don't want to get in bed with one of these shortstops for six, seven, eight years, would you trade Von Grissom in order to get Willie Adamas? And really that question is, would you be willing to trade six years of Von Grissom for two years of Willie Adamas? Because I don't think they have the, the minor league system if Milwaukee makes him available. I don't think the Braves have the farm system to get him. Uh, but the Brewers just had a change in front office. Uh, they kind of feel like a team who should maybe get ahead of a rebuild and trade some assets just because they they have some real issues. I don't know, man. I mean, we could go down the rabbit hole on should they or shouldn't they. Uh, but it is it is a big financial commitment if they are going to sign one of these top free agents and the idea of potentially trading for someone, even if you have to give up prospects or major league ready young talent, is one I'm sure the Braves are going to consider as well. Yeah, it's fascinating. I really it really comes down to your evaluation of Von Grissom and like what his projection is and whether he's going to play left field or whether he's going to play second base or whatever. Um, you know, I I generally have always been the guy more open to trading prospects for established players than most. I know Vaughn is like kind of in the middle now where he's still a prospect, but he's also played enough major league baseball where like you have a little bit more of an idea about what he's going to be. Uh, but yeah, I think that's interesting. I'm uh, I, I would definitely want to know how they're going to use the other resources. Like Adamus won't be necessarily super cheap, but like, does that mean they're going to have money to spend on a high level starting pitcher or a high level outfielder? That'd be pretty interesting. That's part of the calculation as well. So I don't know. It all goes together, but uh, it's interesting hypothetical because yeah, uh, if they make a trade, they have to trade stuff. And uh, that's part of the allure of signing a guy is that you don't have to give up the same level of capital um, if there's a free agent signing. So uh, I have no, I have nothing else to add right now. We'll have more on shortstop. I promise you, uh, maybe the brands will move quickly and they'll just sign Dansby in November and we'll kind of have to move on. But uh, if they don't, We'll have plenty of podcast fodder coming up, Scott. I can promise you that. Um, okay. Number two on the list in the, again, no order here, is the situation, and it is a situation, uh, when I, with regard to basically left field and DH on this roster. Um, just to recap here, Adam Duvall obviously was injured this year, but is a free agent. Robbie Grossman is a free agent. The Braves do have $9 million guaranteed for Eddie Rosario on the books. And they still have two years and $37 million of Marcelo Zuna on the books. Uh, they do have William Contreras, of course, as a DH option. But as we saw, they don't like they don't necessarily want to play him all the time at DH. And he's still your backup catcher. Um, all that fun stuff. Uh, so basically, the Braves go into next season with essentially, in my mind anyway, no one that you would be comfortable with as your, as your opening day left fielder uh, if they have, you know, 
$25 million in Rosario and Ozuna. We can get into like the uh, hypotheticals and the, like, and the reports about Ozuna being traded, but uh, this is the worst spot on the roster right now, very obviously in my mind, um, especially if you factor in like them doing something at shortstop, which I think is kind of a given, at least close to a given. What do you make of this? Because like Ozuna is still Ozuna. He's still around. He's still making a bunch of money. And the Eddie Rosario experiment post-World Series where he was a hero, worth noting, did not go well this last year. No, it's it's too bad that Eddie... And when you look at Eddie Rosario's season, the first couple of weeks when he was so bad, like like unplayably bad, and then we learned he had the major vision issues. And it's like, yeah, that's why he he literally could not see the baseball. That's why he was striking out in like 40% of his appearances and couldn't even catch the ball in the outfield. Uh, the fact that he came back in the middle of the season, I think is really difficult to do, no matter how talented of a player you are. But Eddie showed pretty much nothing post eye surgery, right? He came back in July. He had a sub 700 OPS. The defense was not great. And as we know, left field was a black hole for this team the entire year. Um, Robbie Grossman came in for two months, did okay, I guess, but he never really hit another gear. Didn't really move the needle. You mentioned Marcel Ozuna, who I guess if you are looking for somewhat of a positive outlook he did have a a decent september although he's been pretty bad ever since signing the contract and then of course had the not good uh postseason so i don't know man i think if you're looking for one part of this roster where you could significantly improve upon it's in left field because more or less everywhere else is set right now other than shortstop which we know they're going to address Um, it's uh, they're going to have to get creative in order to make a significant improvement in left field. It wouldn't stun me if they go with like an Eddie Rosario, Adam Duvall platoon of some kind for, you know, however many years in a row that Duvall then would be involved. But um, if there's an opportunity to make a significant improvement in left field, I would be all for it. I just don't know how feasible that's going to be. Yeah, and it all comes down to willingness to deal with Ozuna's money and how that might affect things. We'll talk about payroll in a moment as one of these broad storylines, but that's, of course, a big thing because in a vacuum, I think what you would like to do is just cut Marcel Ozuna. And yeah, you got to pay him, you got to pay him to go away, but it's been reported now two different times the Braves have tried to trade Ozuna for expensive, bad contracts, and both times it did not happen. One was One was for Patrick Corbin, who probably has the worst contract in baseball in terms of just on-field performance, like uh, he's the left-hander for the Nationals that has $59 million left for the next two seasons. Some of that's deferred money, but it's a lot um, It's a lot of money. And he has a ERA over six the last two years. And those were both like full seasons, like 62 starts. He has the most home runs allowed in the league over that time period. Like he's been very bad and that's $30 million a year. Um, and apparently the Nationals didn't want to do that, which tells you all you need to know about Ozuna. And then there was another, the, the reporting early on that we talked about briefly during the season about Avisel Garcia. So like, I don't know what they want to do there, like how urgent it is. You know, some of the vitriol has faded on Ozuna. I think the fan base, there's some people that don't want to see him around, but anecdotally, it does not seem like there's quite the same vigor to get rid of him for off-field reasons. The on-field stuff, he's been really bad. I mean, we talked about it a lot. I'm not gonna do the whole thing again now, but um, even if you were to remove any off-foot consideration, he's been very bad at baseball for the last two seasons, like notably bad. So that's part of this too. Um, he can't play defense. We know that, uh, all that stuff. So I don't know what they're going to do there. There is a, li- a little bit of hope about his bat. Like if you look at the underlying metrics, like his ex-Wobo was actually pretty decent this year. He's always hit the ball hard. So if you want to be like a hard liner there and just think that he's going to bounce back, then maybe he will, but I would not bake on that. Um, I would like to see them move on in some form or fashion, but who knows what, that, what that's actually going to look like. Rosario, he's going to be on your roster either way unless you pay to dump him. And I think with Rosario, like you, maybe you could just cross your fingers. He finds something, he gets healthier, has a full offseason and whatever, but he can't be your primary guy. I do think that maybe a worst case scenario is a Duvall-Rosario platoon. I think that Duvall bringing him back if they, if they can for a reasonable price is a good idea. I've always been very pro Adam Duvall. If they had him this year, it would have helped a lot, honestly, Before he after he went down. That was actually a big hole that was created there, but um, there isn't a sexy option that I can see. Maybe maybe they trade for a guy. Maybe they spend over the top of Ozuna. That's plausible to me, I suppose. 
But um, if there is a spot on the roster that they, I can see them going into the season with a weakness at, it's probably left field. Yeah, I think you're right. And maybe this is our segue into the payroll discussion with this yep. team. And some public comments recently that are encouraging from Terry McGurk. But yeah, I mean, as much as, I mean, if the Braves, it's not my money. If the Braves want to go out and spend a bajillion dollars, like go for it, fellas. Like I, I will happily support the team financially the ways I can. Um, but as as we said, and to kind of put a bow on left field, there's no great option internally. Um, you know, there, there's some, some well, there's one enormous name on the free agent market with Aaron Judge who is is not going to happen. I, I don't um, think that's going. I mean, listen, I, I, I won't say it's a 0% chance, but yeah. I think it's a 1% chance. <laughs> it's not a yeah. not a high number for Aaron Judge. It'd be, it'd, that'd be great, though. Sign me up. Yeah, I mean, if, if Aaron Judge wants to hit baseballs at, at Truist Park, that's fine with me. Uh, and then there's some some decent outfield options in free agency. There's not a ton of great outfielders. Um, there's always the potential of a trade. The one thing, and I don't think Alex Anthopoulos is going to do this, the one thing I do not want the Braves to do is to parlay a bad contract situation with Marcel into a worse contract situation. Like don't, don't prolong the money. Don't add on another year of a bad contract. I mean, I guess the Patrick Corbin thing was kind of interesting just because once upon a time he was really good, but again, he has a messy contract and he has been so bad the last few years Avisel Garcia in Miami was not good. I mean, there are bad contracts out there who you could presumably work out a swap for, but don't do it just to do it. Like if you're done with playing Marcel, just cut him. You own the money either way. Either he can stink it up for your team, or I guess you could hold out hope that maybe he suddenly finds it again. I don't think it's very likely. Um, we'll see. But again, left field is the one spot where if the Braves can upgrade, it would be a significant upgrade from what they currently have. Yeah. And we'll have more on that um, later as well, along with DH, but your, your, your segue is important. So let's uh, wait on the, the third of five um, offseason storylines is just generally speaking what the payroll is because the payroll projections at MLB trade rumors came out in the last week or so. They have the Braves for about $193 million right now. Um, for reference, they opened last season at 178. That's $15 million below where they are projected to go right now. That was a franchise record. And by the way, that 193 includes $0 for Dansby Swanson or Kenley Jansen or anything else. So like it's going to be more than that because shortstop's going to cost some money no matter who it is. So it looks like they're going to go over $200 million if they uh, are not going to be pulling back in some scant way. They're, they obviously do have Russell Iglesias if they want to just kind of move away from Kenley Jansen. But uh, anyway... Terry McGurk, you said it, but he said in the last couple of weeks that they are capable of a top five payroll in baseball. The Braves used to run top five payrolls when we were younger, um, when it was Ted Turner and they were you know rocking and rolling. I have picked on them quite a bit in years past for not spending. That stopped in the last two years because the Braves have started to spend. Um, they have started to sell at the ballpark. They had intense records this year. They were really just kind of starting to print money with the battery, all that fun stuff. I think they kind of know that now. They're not going to spend like the Mets I don't think, or the Yankees maybe, or the Dodgers, but they might be number four on that list based on all of their comments and what they are looking at with all the extensions and all that stuff. And we'll get into it in a second, but they also, they also have some some money committed to some guys that I think people have kind of forgotten. But do you have a take beyond just spend the money? Because like for me, I think you said it too, like we are just very much on board with them spending a bunch of money. It's not our money. And yes, there's a luxury tax level that they have to at least consider, but there's no like punitive, like baseball related um, negativity to spending money. Like spending money is a good thing. It doesn't always fix your problems. We've seen that, we've seen that before with the Mets and other places, but like generally if you spend more, your team is going to be better because um, your players can be better and they have more flexibility. And um, yeah. Ozuna is a great example of this too, but like just spend money. That's, that's a great idea. Sign me up. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a huge difference between spending money to spend money and effectively spending money, right? Like there's there's giving Javi Baez a six year, hundred and forty million dollar deal where everyone was like, oh my god, why would Detroit do that? And sure enough, a year later, it's probably the worst contract in the major leagues. And then you have you know very smart and sharp front offices 
Uh, I will say, Alex Anthopoulos, as great of a GM as he has been, he has nailed some trades. I mean, even the early returns on like the Matt Olson deal look fine, uh, given how the prospects fared this year. Um, of course, had the all-time trade deadline. This is not a bash of Alex Anthopoulos, but he has made some um, objectively questionable decisions in free agency. Uh, not all of them have hit, and I don't think anybody expects all of them to hit. Um, but he, you know, last year he had the option of what outfielder did he want to bring back. He went past, uh, he didn't sign Jock Peterson, who had an awesome year, and he signed Eddie Rosario. Uh, when the team needed pitching help, the, you know, the Dallas Keuchel and the Cole Hamels, and, you know, he has not been perfect in free agency and I'm not saying that he isn't going to find the right fit, but it has not been the best aspect of his tenure with the Atlanta Braves, I will say. That being said, I trust him wholeheartedly with this team and it's the front office as a whole. And hey, as we said, it's not our money. If Terry McGurk wants to write the check, bring in the talent, uh, it's, it's more than likely to work out. And if you have the ability to add yet another star player in their prime to this, this team that's now signed very much for the next five or six years, then go for it. Yeah, you're right. I mean, he, it, Alex definitely has a blind spot for um, let's say high price relievers. <laughs> that's one area <laughs> where he likes to yeah. spend money for whatever reason. Um, the Jansen deal, you can argue about that one until the cows come home, but uh, Will Smith was a lot of money. Um, Iglesias, they didn't sign, but they traded for a bunch of money. He's obviously been awesome, but it's a big, big investment for a reliever, um, et cetera. But yeah, We'll see how they spend it, but I, I do believe this time that they're going to spend a bunch of money. I don't know how much they're going to spend, nor are they going to tell us. Anthopolis is never going, there's no incentive for him to tell us what the payroll is going to be. Um, but I think that we've also seen him be able to convince ownership to spend midseason a couple of years ago. The, of course, the they, they sort of overhauled their team with uh, the outfield, uh, relatively cheap number, but still they spent some more money. And uh, yeah, we'll see. I do want to say out loud, though, the Braves have a couple of money things that people have not focused on a ton. Like, for one, Manny Pena has $4.5 million guaranteed for this year for the Braves. Remember Manny Pena, Scott? Still on this roster? I was uh, hoping that Manny Pena would get to attend the World Series parade and everybody would go, who is that guy? I mean, go, we, oh, we, talked, yeah. we, talked, we talked about him a lot on this podcast. Then he got hurt and he disappeared, which is not anybody's fault. Like... I still think Manny Pena would have been fine and would have been that that was actually a reasonable signing that we kind of liked. But with Contreras doing what he did this year, there is no room for Manny Pena on this roster, barring um, a full time transition for Contreras to DH. Maybe the only is the only way. But uh, that's four and a half million dollars. It's not going to change your life. No, but that's real money on the books. Also, your friend and mine, Jake Odorizzi, has a twelve and a half million dollar player option. Also, that deal includes a six and a quarter million dollar buyout that he's going to get either way. So either the Braves are paying him six million dollars to not be on the team or they're paying him twelve and a half to be on the team. We'll see. But uh, maybe takes the maybe takes the free money and hits the market. I'm not sure what's going to happen there, but uh, keep that in mind, folks. Either the Braves are going to be spending money on Jake Odorizzi to not pitch or to pitch. You know, Jake had such a inspirational performance to clinch the division with two days to go, he should hit the open market, like take the 6 million. And because I think <laughs> I'm joking, but like, I would rather the Braves have that six and a half million dollars. If Oda as he does opt out of his deal, as you noted again, his contract is funky. So he gets $6.25 million either way. And he has the option to then accept a, what it, equivocally comes out to $6.25 million player option to opt into playing with the Braves, or he can hit the free agent market. I would guess he will take the six and a quarter million, hit the free agent market. I think worst case, he probably matches what he could have accepted or bought into. Um, but I, the the general thought is that Odorizzi is going to uh, decline the player option, or I, I don't know what the verbiage is. It's a funky contract. Well, the crazy thing here, Scott, is that I know Braves fans, trust me, I've heard from all of you folks about how you feel about Odorizzi and my mild defenses of Jake Odorizzi. He's going to have a market. Like, a team is going to give him money this winter. Like, yeah. Jake Odorizzi has value. I know people don't see that. I know Braves fans hate Jake Odorizzi already. But, like, his track record 
Like someone's going to give him a deal that has real numbers of millions of dollars attached to it. It might be a one-year deal. It maybe probably will be a one-year deal, but like he does have a market. So it's not like it's not like he's choosing between twelve and a half million dollars from the Braves and one million for someone else. Like I think it's probable that his best financial move is to take the buyout and then he will sign for some for um, more than the six point two five six point two five million dollars somewhere else. I do believe that to be the case. Now I could be wrong, but uh you know, teams generally pay, especially on one-year deals. Like, I don't know what, I don't know what I guess he gets, but like maybe one year, 10 million from somebody. I don't know. Oof. It's a lot um, of money, but like, he's been fine. Like, I understand this is a, I'm a broken record, but like, if you look at what he's done every season, like he's kind of worth what those deals generally are. Like yeah. nobody likes him, but <laughs> it, is what, it is what it is. He's, he's a fifth starter. Yeah. And as we've seen, sometimes fifth starters have, good starts. I mean, he had that that very good one against Miami. He was perfectly fine in some. And then there are other starts being a fifth starter where it's, you know, he he can't get through the second inning and it's like, holy smokes. Yeah. He's uh, not, he's not great. Once again, he is not great. I just think that there's always like every year, two or three vets that get paid like those like one year, $8 million or one year, $10 million deals, because like one year deals are just one year deals. Like they don't cost you anything long-term and if he pitches like he has the last, even this year, Jacob Odorizzi was worth 1.3 fan graphs for this season. You want to know what that's worth? Yeah. More than $8 million. Yeah. <laughs> like, well, old friend Drew Smiley signed thing. a one-year $5.25 million deal with the Chicago Cubs. So you're absolutely right. There was and he had been worse, by the way. He, he had a worse year the previous year inside and still, and still got more than $5 million. And he, and he was notably worse in 2021 with the Braves than Odorizzi was last year overall. So, yes. yeah. So we will see what Jake decides to do. I think just knowing what the payroll situation is, I think I would prefer or hope that he takes his $6 million buyout. It's the free <laughs> agent market. And maybe, you know, I don't think Odorizzi is going to have half of the teams lining up to sign him. But if January or February come around and he still doesn't have a home, and maybe the Braves want to add some depth to their starting rotation, which we're going to talk about here in a second. You know, maybe maybe there is a chance to have a reunion. But if you don't have to make that reunion happen in November, I think I'm cool with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I, I think that if you are even with all of the positivity, generally speaking, or relatively that I have espoused about Jacob Arizzi, you don't want I think the Braves do not want to be paying him twelve and a half million dollars this year. Um, that's a lot. But it shouldn't surprise anyone if he's on the books and it won't be the Braves choice. Like he can just right now today, he can just be like, I'm playing next year for the Atlanta Braves at twelve and a half million dollars. And the Braves can't do anything about that. So keep that in mind. So like there's a scenario where Manny Pena and Jake Odorizzi are making a combined $17 million next year for the Braves. Just I'm just saying this for informational purposes at this stage. Like those guys are on the books <laughs> right now. Now just yep. keep that in mind. Along with Ozuna and Rosario, like they have some interesting not full on dead money, but some uh, some ugly money on the books, albeit for short periods of time. Other than Ozuna, uh, also just as a quick matter of bookie- bookkeeping here, uh, the Mike Soroka and Tyler Matzik tender decisions are looming. Much smaller money here. Um, MLBTR projected about two point eight million dollars for Soroka, and Matzik was one point eight million dollars. Soroka, I expect. I don't know about you. I think the Braves are going to just keep him and pay that money. And if he can't pitch, he can't pitch. Um, just, just to have a chance at looking at him for the for the season. But Matzik, it's a weird one because he's not going to pitch this year. So like they have to choose basically whether to just pay him that money as a goodwill gesture to keep him on the books and have him still be in arbitration the following year. Or if they want to be cold and calculating, they could probably just cut him and bring him back if they want to for cheap. I don't know what they're going to do there. And it doesn't hugely matter on the margins, but like money-wise, those guys have some, some choices. Yeah, I agree about Soroka. I mean, they, they of course paid him a year ago, knowing he very likely was not going to pitch this year. Yep. And with Matzik, I mean, it's minimal money. I think his projected number is one point eight million. If Tyler Matzik wasn't Tyler Matzik and he was um, uh, William Woods, I mean, this is a bad example, but if he was William Woods and you knew he wasn't going to pitch next year, you would just cut him. Right. Like there, there's no, you could always just sign him again in a year's time, but why pay a guy if he has 0% chance of throwing next year, but it's Tyler Matzik. And I hope the Braves 
do right by Tyler, even if they settle on like a $1 million payroll or uh, paycheck for next year, knowing he's not going to throw and just rehab. I hope they make that good, probably the goodwill decision instead of necessarily the baseball decision. I mean, the man literally gave his shoulder and his elbow to, to pitch the Braves to a World Series last year. I hope they do right by him. I think they will. They'll probably settle on on a lesser figure than what he is quote unquote owed or or you know supposed to be owed in the arbitration process. But I would not be surprised at all if those guys are around again next year. I agree. And look, the broad thing there is like the payroll is going to be going up by all accounts. We'll see how high, but there are factors in place. Uh, the good thing is this is the team that has a lot more cost certainty than a lot of teams do because they have so many guys locked up on contracts long-term. It's a nice problem to have. Um, anyway, the last two are a little bit um, cleaner and a little bit more like, you know, just kind of straight ahead questions. Uh, one of them is the rotation in that they have four guys who are very obviously going to be in the rotation next year. And they are the four that you would expect. It is Max Freed, it is Kyle Wright, it is Spencer Strider, and it is Charlie Morton. Those guys are going to be in rotation unless they are hurt. The question is, and one that we've gotten in mailbags and other things, and it's pretty obvious, is basically, do you believe the Braves need another guy from outside the organization? Because they do have internal options for that fifth spot. They have Ian Anderson, they have Kyle Muller, they have Bryce Elder, they have Mike Soroka, they might have Jake Odorizzi, as we just, as we just discussed. They have a bunch of options. None of them are fantastic options, but a lot of teams would like to have the kind of depth the Braves have. Um, broadly, Scott, we don't want to go crazy into this, but like, are you in favor of them going and getting another guy in rotation, or are you okay with the four they have and kind of flinging it after that? Hmm. I would love for the Braves to go out and sign a really good starting pitcher or trade for a really good starter. I just don't know, again, how feasible it's going to be. You can never, ever, ever, ever have too many good starting pitchers. I yep. think we have seen that even as recently as this month, right? The way the Braves were mostly healthy all year. And then all of a sudden you lose Strider, Charlie Morton gets hit. Even Max Freed had the the sickness or the illness or whatever. Uh, I would, would lean pretty strongly towards not necessarily what they should do, but what they will do is go to camp with Anderson, Muller, Elder, Soroka, Maybe they, you know, they, they signed a discount bin starter or a, a veteran starter like Odorizzi. I think they're going to let those guys battle it out for that fifth spot, especially because one, you can't predict pitcher injuries, but you you feel good about Freed, Strider, Morton, and Wright as your top four. Who knows, man? Maybe all four guys stay healthy all year. Maybe three out of four of them are hurt by the All Star break. You, you just can't know those things, but. Considering the rest of the roster, I would not be surprised at all if they not even go cheap, but just prioritize other positions before they, I mean, I would love for them to go after Jacob deGrom, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I agree with that. I I think that uh, it should not surprise anyone if they go get somebody else, but I think it's more likely to be an uninspiring option than it is an inspiring option, like a, like an Odorizzi type. I'm not saying it's going to be Odorizzi, but like someone like that who is more of a back-end depth piece might cost them six million bucks, but it's not going to be a long-term option because they do have so much depth. Like I, I think that it's perfectly reasonable, and I won't throw a tantrum if they go into the season with what they have now. Like you can probably hope and bank and maybe be – kind of confident in one of the Anderson, Muller, Elder, Soroka quartet being good enough to rely on. But like you said, you need to have seven or eight guys. Like that's been very clear over multiple seasons now. Like nobody goes through the season with five starters. Everybody needs seven, eight, nine starters. And the Braves have a bunch of depth. Um, and maybe Anderson bounces back or whatever. They still have high hopes for him. Muller and Elder had some nice moments this year. Both of them, Soroka, Everyone's rooting for, but that's a good question to kind of look at over the next couple of months is just like, do they need another guy? Um, and if it's Odorizzi, it's Odorizzi. And maybe that, maybe that'll be the final answer, um, which I know everybody, everybody is excited about. Scott. I, I just, I just feel the excitement through the zoom call right now with Scott well, just radiating about Jake Odorizzi. So <laughs> I will say that if the Braves <laughs> go into opening day with a starting five of Freed, Morton, Strider, Wright, and Odorizzi, 
that's that's good. Like the, I mean, it obviously, is. it really is. <laughs> I would love for them to go out and get a, a Jacob Degrom or a, a Justin Verlander. I think is a free. Like, sure, of course, every team in baseball would love to have five rock solid frontline starters, but it's just difficult to do that unless you're operating at like a four hundred million dollar payroll or something. And then you you talk maybe about they are the young- maybe they're going to do that, Scott. Maybe they'll just go Steve Cohen and just like sign everybody. <laughs> Why not? Maybe they will. Um, but Mike Soroka, we know that Mike has an uphill battle, right, because of the unconventional nature of his injuries. But if Mike Soroka can get healthy, uh, even if he didn't face very good lineups with Miami and Washington, Bryce Elder had some moments. Kyle Muller has the stuff. Kyle Muller kind of feels like Kyle Wright, where the stuff is good. He just hasn't learned how to throw strikes enough and just kind of the mental side of the game. And then Ian Anderson, we talked at the start of the podcast, you know, a year ago, Ian Anderson threw five no hit innings in the world series. And obviously he did not have a very good 2022, but he is too talented and has more than enough history of success to just kind of write him off. Uh, I hope that Ian used the opportunity this offseason and even when he was down in Gwinnett to maybe redefine how he pitches a little bit. Um, I'm not suggesting that he's just going to magically find a third pitch or anything like that. But again, I I just think they have too much talent internally for the fifth spot in the rotation. Um, Again, hey, if they want to spend and write a check for another really good starter, go for it. But I I would guess they're going to kind of use their internal options. We are on the same page with that one. And I said at the top of the podcast that there really are four storylines and we kind of just covered the four. If you want to get to five, that nice round number, I included basically the bounce back of Ronald Acuna and Ozzy Albies. Now, this is an internal thing. They're both going to be on the team. They're both on good contracts. Obviously, they're both star level players. Ronald a little bit higher, obviously, on the star line than Ozzy, but Ronnie, we know, had his worst season of his career, age 24. He was still a very productive player, but not clearly himself this year. Career lows in a lot of different ways. Slugging in particular. His power kind of went away with the knee injury. He'll have a full offseason. I'm not worried at all about Ronnie, but that's kind of the, the baseline there. And then Ozzy was struggling before he got hurt and then got hurt twice. He missed 98 games. He's still right in the middle of his prime. He'll be 26 in January. But as I've always said, you know, Ozzy is more of a star people kind of realize like he's been one of the top five second basemen in major league baseball for the last half decade or so so like it'd be nice to have both of them back at their full caliber like performance but it's kind of worth remembering to kind of bring things full circle from the top of the podcast this is a team that won 101 games with ronald not really being ronald and with ozzy missing more than half the season yeah we, we've um i think we have noted and almost been in amazement that for the handful of things that really really did not go right for the Braves this year, they still won 101 games. And I hope that Ronald, now that he's going to have six months to distance himself and then continue to strengthen his knee that was surgically repaired, we know how good Ronald Acuna Jr. is when he is fully healthy. He never really looked right, right? Even when he was out there most nights, Seemed like every time he'd be rounding the bases or take a big swing, he'd be grimacing. And that's all to be natural and expected whenever you're coming off a major surgery like that. And then you noted Ozzy, who has a, a track record of success. He's been so good his entire young career. Um, you know, there are some elements of Ozzy's game, I think, that would do him well to improve upon, not to uh, go down that rabbit hole. But again, man, because he's making so little money, I think it's he's just such a valuable piece of this roster. And even when he's out there, even when Ozzy isn't hitting or or doing whatever, I think his impact on the team is just really someone who just vibrates energy. And I don't know, man, I, I think both guys, when we do a podcast this time in a year, I, I would not be surprised at all for both players to round into form and, and have the year we were expecting them to have this season. Yeah. To kind of put one number on this, uh, I just looked up the fan graphs, war leaderboard for second baseman since 2018 which was the year that ozzy became a full-time major league player uh he is number six in baseball in fangrass war among second baseman uh that's all of baseball the guys he, the guys who he's behind are like all prominent names and he's also played fewer games than most of them because he missed a lot of this season so he has been a star 
I know he's not seen that well by everybody. He's not Ronald Acuna. He's not a superstar like that, but he's basically been a four-win player per season. Like, he's really good, and uh, that'd be helpful as well. And, you know, I know the Von Grissom thing happened this year, but Ozzy, you know, provided he is healthy, and he should be by then, uh, is is your guy at second base, and we'll see from there. We should, like, at some point talk about Von Grissom's role, and maybe he's playing a part in the left field thing. Like, that's maybe one of the secondary considerations coming into the season. Um, there are other storylines we could probably dive into at some point, we, and we definitely will in our like positional breakdowns and reviews and previews. But hopefully, that's a good sort of outline of what's of what's to come because there's a lot there's a lot happening here, and maybe the Braves will just trade for Shohei Otani, and that'll be addressing multiple things at once. That'd be now great. we're talking, yeah. Fifth uh, starter, DH, all the things at once for, De- for it Otani. does trading for the best player in the world does solve some problems. Yes, I think. Uh, and that would be the emergency podcast of all emergency podcasts. Yeah. Aside from him just being incredible, um, full stop. Um, if there was, you know, the Braves do have, uh, th- that would answer two of our questions that we asked on this podcast at the same time. And the fact that he would, he'd be able to DH for them and fill their starting pitching spot hmm. if they have one. So I'm going to have to get on the horn with Alex tonight and say, Alex, hear me out, buddy. I mean, all, all you have to, all you have to offer is probably like, I don't know, Bryce Elder and a couple like C prospects. That probably, that probably sure. should be enough. They could have Marcelo Zuna, right? Ozuna, like a, Von Grissom, and Bryce Elder for Shohei Otani. Call it I wonder if Alex has thought of this. I think he probably has made at least one call to the Angels, <laughs> uh, probably no. just to see how much it was it would cost. Yeah, but uh, apparently lot. he is apparently he is available. I'm like I don't think that's gonna I don't think it's gonna oh, happen. Yeah. But uh, you remember that 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 there like there's like a two day period during the season that there was that fake trade on MLB Network that made the rounds about the Braves and Otani and people like just lost their minds for three trade days. It was great. Great arguments on all sides. Great content in the middle of yes. August or whatever um, that was. Um, yeah, here we go. It are, is though. worth noting, not Shohei Otani related, but one quick housekeeping note. Uh, in previous years, in I guess last year, you can kind of throw out because there was the looming deadline or uh, lockout, rather. That but happened. <laughs> Alex historically yeah. made for some amazing podcasts with nothing, literally nothing to talk about. Yep. Um, but historically, Alex Anthopoulos has generally worked pretty fast in the offseason. He had the Thanksgiving weekend where he signed Brian McCann and Josh Donaldson. I think that was at the end of 2018 going to 19. Um, he, other than, uh, I think Marcelo Zuna signed late in the offseason. Uh, but other than that, most of his big deals in normal offseasons have come very early. Now, that could have just been a product of the players he was targeting. That doesn't mean anything this year, but it would not be a huge surprise for him to be aggressive. We've seen him be aggressive in the off seasons previously. Um, so that is worth noting that he is not someone who has always uh, you know, waited until January, February to make all of his moves. Yeah, I, I remember a few Monday mornings in the Anthopolis era were just like, things just broke immediately out of the gate and like nothing can happen until the world series is over. So we're, we're still in safe mode right now, but in a week, the floodgates can kind of start opening with talks happening. And uh, the Braves will have a, that, that's kind of the one beauty and also maybe the curse from an offseason standpoint is that the Braves don't have that many spots to fill. Like they could probably still do some stuff, but this is not a situation where they're going in with all these spots where they have to go up out and get guys. It's basically shortstop and maybe a corner guy and maybe a pitcher. And everything else is, I mean, bullpen's always an area where teams can spend, but even that, even then they have Kirby Yates coming back. Like, I guess, I guess Kenley Jansen could have been on the list of our storylines. Like they, maybe they try to bring him back at maybe a slightly reduced, reduced cost from last year. I don't know what's going to happen, but um, we'll talk about it all, Scott, to bring things full circle. Yeah, we will. And um, thanks for everybody for checking us out here. We will have all kinds of content over the following months, uh, both, kind of a more in-depth look back on the season that was look back at the positives and the negatives and, and looking ahead, continuing to look ahead. And then of course, any rumors or whispers or whatever it is. And then of course we do the emergency pods for any uh, significant off season moves. I think we'll say, I I always do laugh whenever there's like something so minimal, like the Braves will sign a a minor league deal for, you know, a guy for four hundred thousand dollars if he's on the big league roster and we get the emergency pod tweets and those are always fun. Um, but for big news, we will be here. We'll be here. And, uh, you know, part of the the beauty of our friend Sean Coleman, who's doing the uh, more bite-sized episodes is that we're here more frequently, whether it's us or whether it's Sean or whether it's Chris and Steven or whether it's Eric and the minor league guys, 
we're all on the podcast network for the price of zero dollars. And uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, I promise you, we will react in very short, uh, you know, very short uh, timeline, basically, to any major transaction that happens, or even like rumors. We'll definitely do those and all that fun stuff in the coming months. But one more plea to please subscribe to the podcast. The best thing you can do to support the show is to go ahead and do that across podcast platforms, leave five star ratings and reviews. Also, you should be reading the written content at batterypower.com. Fantastic stuff happening there already in the offseason. That's very busy. Chris Willis is cracking the whip as he always does on the staff. I very rarely contribute written content, but Scott does every once in a while. And other people write quite a bit of stuff on there. So that's definitely worth checking out as well. Scott, where can folks find your Indianapolis Colts musings after another close-fought oh. loss on the Sunday? The Sam Ellinger era begins in Indianapolis. Yeah, I'm not enjoying football right now, Bradley. It's been a, a bad year. Uh, my, my fantasy teams suck. My NFL teams suck. My college teams are not great. Um, yeah, it's, it's not been great, Brad, but uh, I'm at Scott Coleman 55. I will echo all of what you said. Be sure to check out the site. Uh, Chris and the writing team do just such a great job covering all kinds of things. Atlanta Braves. Uh, really, it's just it's unrivaled, which is crazy. And I don't say that as someone who's been around with the site for a decade now. Um, everything gets covered. Everything gets written about. It, it really is a, a great community. So uh, we appreciate all the support and we will be back here soon. Absolutely. Echo that. Um, in contrast to Scott, I am an Atlanta Falcons fan and the Falcons, against all odds, lead the NFC South as of this moment in a just bizarro world. Just a ridiculous game today from the Falcons. Had, it, had, it had everything. Uh, just one of those things. And uh, Michigan undefeated, Scott. So we're just we're feeling better over here uh, in my life than you are about football. But uh, I'm sure it will have a downturn soon enough because nothing <laughs> is allowed to be positive in the sports world where I reside. Uh, I do cover the Hawks every day as well, which is more of a challenge, although they're pretty good too. So here we are. Okay, that's it for us on this Sunday evening and probably for the month of October for this podcast in particular. But one more, please subscribe to the podcast. Check us out on Twitter and all that fun stuff. And we'll see you all next time. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a PropGPod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the PropGPod wherever you get your podcasts.